This is the Mideast Beast Podcast. I'm your host here in Israel, Molly Livingstone, attempting to be funny. And on the other side of the pond, we have Alex Giles. Hello, Alex. Who is always funny. Hello. Happy birthday for yesterday. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's so nice that people remember I'm dying just one day closer. It's okay. That's what Facebook is for. It's to remind me of these things. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. I hate that. I hate that people write happy birthday as though it's anything but genuine. Speaking of genuine people, let's get right down to the nitty gritty of this week's news topics from the Mideast Beast. Of course, the big Ramadan of starving yourself for a month is finally over. And that means that there's a long celebration of eating and charity at the end of that. But... One person wasn't happy to do either. Who was that, good sir? You could have two guesses, but I'll save everybody the time. That would be (laughs) President Trump. Congratulations if you guessed that. Well done. So as reported on the Mideast Beast, Trump on Eid, that is the holiday Eid dinner. I'm only going if there's ketchup. And I want to put a side note that he would never have Heinz ketchup because we all know that that would be part of eating his sworn enemy's ketchup, John Kerry, whose yes. wife. Uh, she's amazingly rich. Is, is what, is what you're she's to say. like crazy rich, which was like, that's why John Kerry married her. Well, that, in, well that might not be the only reason, but it's, a, you know, it's not a bad reason. Also, she has nice boobs. No, I have no idea. I've never looked because I've been eating her delicious ketchup. But apparently Trump said... He's only going if there is ketchup. Yes, rumor had it. That's rumor has it. Yes, that's well. Well, that's the rumor that we're spreading. I'm not saying it's a real thing, but I am. Yeah, like CNN, we're just fake news. So uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So that it can be the only explanation that I can come up with is that he's a bit worried by Middle Eastern cuisine, which is delicious. The guy doesn't, you know, like hummus. Who the hell doesn't like hummus? Everyone likes hummus. Right. So it's interesting that you say that because I think part of why he might not like hummus is because he can't say it right. And so obviously (laughs) Trump, you know, would be very offended if anyone dare try to correct him. We know that we had a stint where there was a confusion of hummus and Hamas. Hamas obviously being a terrorist organization and hummus being a delicious treat that you can put on basically anything. And you shouldn't get um, those two things confused because that would be that would be weird and could lead to some serious problems. And yet with Trump, I think it's more offensive that he could say hummus wrong as opposed to a terrorist organization that just seeks to murder and kill mm-hmm. even its own people. <laughs> so Molly, why do you think the Trump administration keeps on making these seemingly simple mistakes that don't cost them anything to do the dinner. It's been going for 20 years, I think, since 1996. Right, exactly. And that's real. That's like legit the truth. That Meaning is the, it that, was, yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was totally reported by other fake news like CNN and BBC that, yes, for 20 years they've had this dinner since Bill Clinton. Obviously, you got to bring a liberal uh, yeah. So Bill Clinton, you've had George Bush Jr. did it all through all through his eight years. Right, and he choked on a pretzel. Yeah, so and that, he that was still willing to do. Took a, took a hit for the team. Yeah, he no one, was willing no one's to eat ever, all No one's of ever that. choked on hummus, though. Again, another reason why hummus is delicious right. and safe. And I think probably Bill Clinton started this whole thing because for him, the idea of um, having more than one woman in your life you know, obviously resonated. And he's like, well, if I can do that part of the mm-hmm, custom, mm-hmm. then surely I can eat their food and enjoy charity and eating at the same time. Makes Which, perfect by the way, sense. sounds very Jewish. Makes perfect sense. So you're asking me, I digressed. You asked, 
why do they keep doing these faux pas? Yes, exactly. Are they being deliberately combative? Are they playing to their base that says you shouldn't do anything that, that sniffs of multiculturalism? Or are they just, you know, the State Department and the, and, and the other departments are just really understaffed and, and mm. therefore silly things like this, which would be easy to organise, I assume, and just not complicated, fall through the gaps? So I'm not sure if it was really any of the above that you just mentioned. I mean, he did make like a little cutesy video or statement, right? I think he did both. Little video like, hey, what's up to all the, I think he says M word because he doesn't want to say the bad word, Muslims. And then he said, I hope you guys, you know, stop starving and have a good time. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, stop starving. Yeah, good, good plan, good plan. And then he, he had his wife like blow kiss to the camera. And it was nice, you know, it was a cute little video. Then he tweeted something else and then he made a statement. They just maybe genuinely don't care. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that would be more of a reason not to do it, just not caring. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's an element, I think, that they obviously have a base, these 38 or 39% of people that still approve of him, who I'm going to make a wild assumption wouldn't think this was a good idea to have this type of dinner and would think that was Mm. desperately un-American to do that. From a purely party political point of view and supporting his base, it makes perfect sense for him not to do it. And arguably doing it from his base political point of view is a good thing. And bearing in mind this is a guy that yesterday you know, had a essentially a big dinner at, at his hotel in Washington, which is a fundraising dinner for, for Trump well, 2020. Wait, 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 wait. There was lots of ketchup provided at that meal. Well, so I would like to know what, what the... Yes, I don't know what the menu for that was. We haven't looked. I mean, for all we know, it was, it was falafel and kebabs all day long, but I'm going to guess it wasn't. Yeah, I definitely think it was more like... I don't know if he calls them American fries, freedom fries. You know, God forbid we would call them French fries. That's another like big no-no. But there was certainly, I can imagine, a lot of ketchup. You know, for him, probably ketchup, it has a deeper meaning. It looks like blood. He's always out for blood. It really is poetic if there's no ketchup. It has that, you know, a larger sense of the word. Yes. But I think a good point to bring up also is that Jared is technically, right, his son-in-law in Mm -hmm. in charge of the Middle East relations. Yep, bringing peace to the region, you know, when he's got half a second amongst all the other jobs that he has to do. Right, when he's not, like, out hunting and shooting. But I think that he could have had this opportunity of, like, let's do Eid, Mm -hmm. like, Trump style, Mm -hmm. right? Look, I think the Trumps had a good time in Saudi Arabia, those are like some fancy Arabs over there. They got yep. plenty of money. That's a lot they of got gold. Like yeah, yep. gold in the ketchup. Yeah. So I think he should have thought about it on that playing field, and then that could have opened it up. Maybe he thought it was going to be more of like I don't know McDonald's style kind of rundown <laughs> affa- affair. Obviously, if it was Jewish, it would have been buffet, all you can eat. Although then you have to fight Jews to whatever foods on the table because it's Holocaust style feeding. But I think that yeah. I think next year, if he's actually, I paused because I'm just imagining (laughs) him still being in office, still being in America. I don't know if like America will just break apart much like Brexit is doing it to Europe or at least to England. If he's there next year, I think not only should he do Eid, but he might want to consider like a Ramadan diet, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like a, a way to connect, a way to keep off the carbs. 
I think it's not a bad plan. That's an excellent point. You, sh- you should make that to him. I like that. That could possibly help a lot. I like it. Good plan. Good plan. Yeah. If only someone worked over there, we could actually share our ideas with them. But we could probably of course say they we can let email, them the, email the White House. I'm sure that I'm sure they're email. Okay. Tweet it up. Tweet we it could to tweet him. from Midi Beasties. We can tweet to Trump. Suggest it. Put it out on the table. It's like what I did. Table. Yeah. I see what you did there. Okay, so I think we should end it on that high note. That's a great Ramadan diet, 2018. Trump's all about it. We'll get to cover it a year from now and talk about how good he looks and how much hummus he's eating. (laughs) I mean, obviously at the end of every night because you would starve during the day. Yes. Of course, you can share everything. Follow us on Facebook at The Mideast Beast, online on our website, themideastbeast.com and as I mentioned before on Twitter Beasties. Alex always a pleasure never a chore never a chore like making an Eid dinner and I want to say that coming up next in the second half we are going to be talking with Rudy Rockman who is a senior at Columbia University one of the most contentious campuses when it comes to Israeli Palestinian relations anti-Israel Jewish Muslim, everything. And he's going to give us an inside look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Stick with us here on The Mideast Beast. We are back here on the Mideast Beast podcast. And on the line, we have... Rudy Rockman. He is the president and founder of Students Supporting Israel at Columbia University's chapter. He is a senior with a major, of course, in political science. I asked him if he had a minor in poetry, and his response was no business management, which I guess makes more sense. Rudy, you are speaking with us today because I would say, especially since you are the president and founder of Students Supporting Israel, you are pro-Israel at a very harshly critical campus in America against Israel. Would you say that? Like they're not like big fans of Israel at Columbia University? I would say that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, that's like a nice way to put it because I've also seen like haters gonna hate hardcore, very destructive behavior against Israel. And actually one of the things that you were involved with was a video that went viral where you were standing at a table that was supporting Israel And I'll let you tell the story a little bit, but I'm just going to do the condensed version, which was an Israeli actually came up to you and was sort of saying, actually, what you're doing isn't helpful. And he had his opinion sort of almost against Israel or being critical of Israel. And it was an Arab Israeli, Mohammed, that was saying to the Israeli, you should be ashamed of yourself. There's one country for Jewish people. I served and lived in that country. I'm proud of that country. And you're doing a disservice. And you were kind of in the middle. What was going on? And why do you think that is such a poignant point to start with? So let's give a little bit of context about what we're doing out there. Um, Every single year, there's something called an Israeli apartheid week where uh, student hate groups like uh, Student Justice for Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace come out and really demonize the state of Israel and use legitimate suffering of Palestinians in order to delegitimize our right to even exist. Not even to talk about is Israel bad or good, it's delegitimizing our right to exist. 
And so what we decided as students supporting Israel were a grassroots international movement. We're not right-wing, left-wing, liberal, conservative. We are just supporting Israel in every voice that we have on campus. Uh, we decided to showcase an event which shares the story and the history of Israel and its people. That means the diversity that Israel has today, as well as the history that it's had for almost 4,000 years. And so this Israeli came to our table and to our display and right away started reacting and asking us, uh, what are we doing? We have no shame. What are these Israeli flags? What is this expression of nationalism? And he didn't even care to even see what we were promoting. We had nothing to do about the conflict. It had nothing to do about politics. It solely had to do about the connection and relation of the Jewish people with the land of Israel, along with the diversity that's currently in Israel today. And so right away when he started speaking, I started asking him, you know, engaging, what are you really talking about? What is your real problem? You know, is your problem with the country? Is your problem with the people? Is your problem with the army? What is your real problem? And he didn't really understand or know what to say. And then, of course, my friend, like we see in the video, decided to respond to his uh, comments. Do you think he's just like really bitter because he has an ex-girlfriend like an Israeli? They're really harsh. Do you think that he got angry with the country because of her? You were there. Maybe that? he had problem uh, in his dating life. But yeah. uh, I think it's, it's a reaction of what's going on in general around the world. Many Israelis, unfortunately, and many Jews as well, sort of have this, you know, option of either supporting Israel or being accepted by the radical leftist movement on campuses. Right. And so for him, he chose comfort. He chose to be accepted. And fortunately, they're, they're forcing students to make that choice. So it's interesting. I mean, I've heard this term before, the self-hating Jews. And I certainly see living here in Israel, um, we call them refuseniks, people that might refuse to be a part of the army. Obviously, you're supposed to serve. I know you also served. But do you really think that's it? That like people just kind of want to be like with the popular crowd and like, oh, pro-Palestinian is like a sexier move and that's why they're doing it? Or they actually have issues and are being fairly critical of Israel? I mean, there's a big difference between being critical of Israel and taking Israel every single you know, stance and demonizing it. So if we break down a group like Jewish Voices for Peace, which is a Jewish group on campus that is anti-Israel, they are not actually promoting Palestinian rights or helping Palestinians or encouraging, you know, cultural activities in the areas where the Palestinians live. They sort of use the Palestinian legitimate struggles. They take it out of context and they use that to hurt Israel. Why do I say that? Because they never talk about the thousands of Palestinians dying in Syria, about those in refugee camps in Lebanon, about those suffering on the border of Gaza and Egypt. They solely talk about the Palestinian suffering when it comes to having anything to do with Israel. And so what they're really doing is using the Palestinian struggle and Palestinian narrative and Palestinian story in order to hurt Israel, in order to be accepted on campus. So I do not see them as pro-Palestinian. I see them solely as anti-Israel. Okay, so let me ask you like a follow-up question, because as your friend Mohammed in the video that we saw, he stands up for Israel. So there are a lot of Arab Israelis that actually support Israel. And many times they do it quietly for fear of other Arabs that may be anti-Israel who will hurt them, hurt their families. We see a lot of them being represented now at Stand With Us. But 
the Israeli government, what I have a problem with, and you tell me, is that they're not supporting and protecting these Arabs that may want to stand up and speak out. So, for example, Mohammed does it there where he does feel comfortable. But in Israel, he may not feel that same comfort. He may get a death threat, a fatwa, as you say in my horrible Arabic. Do you think that you guys, rather than focusing on these self-hating Jews or these Jews that are anti-Israel, as you said, wouldn't it be better to get more of the Mohammeds and focus on them and bring them out of the woodwork and protect them? Absolutely. I think Mohammed does not represent Palestinians at all. He identifies as an Israeli Arab. Right. Actually, it was yesterday, the entire day with him in his village and speaking with his family and other people living in his village, and they feel as a part of Israel, right. as a minority of Israel, as an equal part of Israel, as, as Muslims, as Israelis, as uh, Arabs, as whatever they want to identify as. But they first and foremost see themselves as Israelis. But I'm talking so about those. I do think he feels, there's hundreds of yeah, thousands of Arab Israelis safe. who want to be. Uh, I, I who, do think they feel safe in Israel. They feel safe in Israel, and as in. But I'm saying they don't feel safe enough to speak out. A good example is Mohammed Zawabi, who in 2014, you know, spoke out on YouTube about the three students who were kidnapped, and he had to go into hiding and actually ended up in your part of town in Florida hiding for many months. He missed out on high school. He had death threats, and he couldn't come back to this country safely. I'm not saying he was afraid of Jews. I'm saying he was afraid of other people in his surrounding areas in Nazareth that were going to come after him, led by his father, by the way, who wanted him dead for what he had done. So that's what I'm saying where there's no protection, where... You may talk to him and his family in their house comfortably, and they're very proud to be Israeli citizens and this and that, but they don't stand up. They don't go to protest. They are not putting up in arms against Hamas, against Gaza, or against Palestinians who want Jews dead in Israel or wiped off the map. All right. There's always more we can do. And I don't think the root of the problem is coming from the Israeli side, but more so the Arab and Palestinian communities. I did a video project last summer where I took an Israeli friend of mine and I placed him in East Jerusalem. And I wanted to see the reactions that people would get if he had a sign, Israeli, I'm Jewish, hug me if you love me back. And he stood there with a mask covering his eyes. And we waited to see the reactions. Now, in the videos, it shows the Arab in, in Tel Aviv and the Jew in, in West Jerusalem. And it shows that both places, they were reacted, you know, they had reactions where the people accepted them with open arms. But the difference with the two scenarios was that it took 45 minutes before anyone even approached the Jew standing in East Jerusalem. And the problem is not that individuals within East Jerusalem did not want to come and give the guy a hug. It's because they were afraid of how they would be seen by the rest of society. Exactly. And I think that's the real problem. That's the real problem. Where within many of these Arab communities, whether it's in Israel or in Judea and Samaria or in other areas, they have this fear within the society of what would happen, how they would be judged if they accept a fellow Jew, if yeah. they accept someone you know who's Israeli. So, and, and that's something that should be changed. I agree. Okay, so that's like the same thing. There's a group here that does hugging also, and they go to the old city and they all hug it out. And they had a bus full of Arabs that came over from Hebron to be a part of this. And they basically were told by, you know, thugs, okay, from East Jerusalem, those Arabs get off the bus, we beat those Arabs up. And some of the Arabs were brave enough to get off the bus and they were beaten up. So I hear what you're saying, but I'm saying that Israel could be doing more than to motivate and protect these people because it seems that 
oftentimes these kinds of organizations, like I respect your organization, but I find that you're going after these targets of anti-Israel Jews who you're not going to sway. Like they're that way. If you, you know, J swipe them going right and you guys sit down to dinner, which may or may not happen because that's not the point. You're not going to find that they're going to agree with you on anything you're saying and you're not going to convince them. So why not work with the already convinced population that most people think, you know, most Arab Israelis, they have a hard time because they say I'm an Arab Israeli and people are like, what? What's an Arab Israeli? Because I've heard of a Palestinian and I've heard of an Israeli Jew, but what is an Arab Israeli? So why aren't we doing more? Like, why shouldn't you be doing more? So I think there's a difference between the projects I'm involved with as an individual in Israel and what I do as the president of Students Supporting Israel at Columbia University. At Columbia, we have a very different problem than the ones that Israelis have in Israel. At Columbia, we're trying to reframe, recreate, uh, rebrand the story of Israel and change the climate on campus. So most students, when they come into a campus, they don't necessarily have a very strong opinion in regards to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. What they know, unfortunately, is that the reason why Israel exists was because the Jews suffered a Holocaust. And the reason there's a conflict today is because Israel was created on this piece of land. That's the basic knowledge of what most students know. And this is before that they go into classes where professors teach them that the Holocaust was exaggerated, that Jews are a bunch of white people from Europe that were converted from another people and came to conquer the lands of others. And so they kind of brainwash them into thinking a totally different revisionist history. And it's our job as students on campus not to try and convince those that are already convinced, but to share the story with those that have no idea. And the beautiful thing about a campus is that within four years, you have a brand new slate of students. One year class comes in, the next year class comes out. And so within four years, five years, six years, you can really rebrand and recreate what most people know to be the truth on a campus. So instead of Fifty Shades of Holocaust, which is what it seems the professors are promoting on campus, we should have the Judy Bloom, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Are you there, Israel? It's me, Rudy. I don't know if you know that uh, <laughs> that book because you weren't an 11-year-old girl being raised in America. You were from France, Israel, and then America. But my point is, is that I hear what you're saying. And it is very interesting how you're talking about giving opportunities to hear both sides of the agenda. And that seems to be less and less happening on campus. So I do applaud what you're trying to do and the fact that you have lived on the outside, like you were in France, you were in Israel, you served in the army, you're now at a very heated political campus with a lot of smart people that may not be so smart, meaning it sounds like you're saying they're being brainwashed by their professors. You might be very smart to get into an Ivy League school, but not smart enough to use your common sense. I also know that you're very good friends with Chloe Simone Valdery, and she is another force to be reckoned with when it comes to being pro-Israel, very staunch supporter of Israel. Do you think that you guys together would be stronger than APAC? Be honest. Superhero Israel team, be honest. I mean, APAC's goal is to really build a relationship between Israel and America. My goal is not to build the relationship between Israel and America, but more so to empower my next generation of Jews and pro-Israel activists around the world and really rebrand the story of Israel to share that story. So, so yeah, we have different goals and Chloe has very similar goals as to what I do. And I think it's just important to being true to who we are and, and pushing our, our, our goal. Because if we look, most people are not leaders. Most people won't step out and stand up when it's time to, to do so. So those that can and those that have the willpower to do so, it's our job to create more leaders like us. 
I think that if you and Chloe had the next generation, meaning you guys had babies, we would like just rock this world and get rid of all the anti-Israel haters because you guys would have such beautiful babies and they would be so smart and they'd be so pro-Israel. Thoughts? Maybe in a different universe, Chloe's my sister. <laughs> oh, that's gross. Then no, that would be horrific. That would be a really bad way for Israel to go down. Listen, Rudy, I'm just having fun with you. I think that you're doing a great job on campus. It's a hard job. I think that you obviously have huge ambitious goals. You're planning to move back to Israel after you get your very scholarly degree. And I have no doubt if I had to guess you want to end up in politics somewhere in the Knesset. We'll see where my life takes me. Answered like a politician. Please, I think you go to sleep dreaming up your hashtags and what you'll say next. I, I do. But that's fine with me. I, I'm like all for it. I like a good mix of a Jew, a French, American, Israeli coming into office because then you can see really all sides of the shitty problems that we have in this country, whether it's from issues of reform and religion and pluralism to obviously war, terror, security issues. So I think I'd vote for you if that makes you feel good or bad. It makes me feel great, actually. Said like a politician. I'm not sure if that was the truth. But I want to thank you for your time nonetheless, Rudy. If people want to learn more about what you guys are doing on campus, get involved, be open-minded, how should they contact you or find out more? Well, they can definitely check uh, my Facebook page or they can check out the Students Supporting Israel at Columbia University Facebook page as well, where we post a lot of our content, our events, our videos, our pictures, and uh, people can just uh, stay in touch and see what's going on. Awesome. Well, we look forward to your senior year. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun on campus working uh, those new kids, as you said, the new slate, the apartheid week, which always finds a new interesting way to hate Israel. So you've got to be one step ahead of the game. I'll let you get back to devising your next plan. And of course, say hi to Chloe for me. I will. Thank you. And that's going to wrap it up for here on the Mideast Beast podcast. This is so fun and exciting. I hope you guys enjoyed. Of course, follow us on Facebook, The Mideast Beast, online, themideastbeast.com, and my favorite, Twitter, at MideastBeasties. You guys have been a great audience. You really stood by in silence, but share your thoughts when you're online and tell us what you want to hear next. And until next time, this is Molly Livingstone, and I will sign off also for Alex Giles in London and Jerusalem. Here I am. <laughs>